Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the conference call to discuss ProAssurance's results for the second quarter of 2015. These results were reported in a news release on August 6, 2015. The release, along with the company's other SEC filings, including the 10Q also filed on August 6, 2015, are intended to provide you with important information about the significant risks, uncertainties, and other factors that are out of the company's control and could affect ProAssurance's business and alter expected results. Also, Management expects to make statements on this call dealing with projections, estimates, and expectations, and explicitly identifies these as forward-looking statements within the meaning of the U.S. federal securities laws and subject to applicable safe harbor protections. The content of this call is accurate only on August 7, 2015, and except as required by law or regulation, ProAssurance will not undertake and expressly disclaims any obligation to update or alter information disclosed as part of these forward-looking statements. Now, as I turn the call over to Mr. Frank O'Neill, I would like to remind you that the call is being recorded, and there will be a time for questions after the conclusion of prepared remarks. Thank you, Noah. Everyone, uh, welcome today. Please note that we'll be referencing non-GAAP items in our call. Our recent news release provides a reconciliation of these non-GAAP numbers to their GAAP counterparts. Participating in today's call are our chairman and CEO, Stan Starnes, Howard Friedman, the president of our Healthcare Professional Liability Group, Chief Financial Officer and Executive Vice President Ned Rand, and Mike Boguski, the president of our workers' compensation business. I'm going to ask Stan now to give us some opening thoughts. Stan? Thanks, Frank, and my thanks to those of you who have joined us today to hear more about our results through June 30 of 2015. This was another strong quarter for us, and we'll be concentrating on two important items in our remarks this morning. First, we'll be talking about solid second quarter profitability, and that profitability has been realized despite the fact that we operate in very competitive lines of insurance. Second, we'll highlight our continued focus on shareholder value through consistent dividends and an ongoing commitment to repurchase our shares at prices we believe represent real value. We have returned $341 million to shareholders through July 31st by way of dividends and share repurchases. With that background, Frank, let's get started. All right, Stan, thank you. Uh, Ned Rand is going to go first today, reviewing our consolidated and corporate results. Then we'll delve into each of the insurance operating segments. So, Ned? Thanks, Frank. Higher consolidated gross written premiums were primarily driven by increases in workers' compensation writings, up 6% in the quarter and 11% year-over-year, and to a lesser extent by the increase from our Lloyd segment, the Syndicate 1729 ramps up. Offsetting those increases was the decline in the specialty P&C segment, but there are encouraging signs from specialty, which Howard will touch on when he discusses that segment's specifics. We continue to see solid progress in cross-selling initiatives designed to link targeted accounts within our healthcare professional liability, life sciences, and workers' compensation segments. We continue to be very encouraged by the potential to leverage these lines of business that are so critical to those operating in the healthcare arena. However, this is a year where we are concentrating on educating insureds and developing new prospects, so we think 2016 will be much more impactful to the top line. That said, these initiatives have re resulted in approximately $2 million of new gross premiums written through June 30, 2015, mostly involving our workers' compensation clients. Net premiums written were up approximately one and a half points in the quarter and essentially unchanged for the year to date compared to prior periods. 
net premiums earned declined less than a point quarter over quarter and were essentially flat year over year. Our net investment result was down 1.8% in the quarter. We did benefit from the strong performance of one of our private equity investments, which drove a $1.7 million quarter-over-quarter improvement in our equity and unconsolidated subsidiaries. But that was more than offset by a 7.5% decline in net investment income due to lower interest rates available upon reinvestment and lower average investment balances as we continue devoting considerable capital to share repurchase. Our second quarter 2015 current accident year net loss ratio was 79.3% and 80% for the six months into June 30th. The quarter-over-quarter improvement is a little less than one point, and year-over-year it's essentially unchanged. We recognized $35 million of net favorable reserve development in the quarter. For the year, net favorable development is $69 million. Both are lower than their respective 2014 results, and this is consistent with the trends we've discussed in previous calls. Our consolidated expense ratio was 30.5% in the quarter, higher by just under one point from 2014. As we discussed last quarter, we have changed the way we are handling the allocation of corporate expenses to our operating segments. And one offshoot of this is that the expenses that are retained by our corporate segment are no longer considered in our evaluation of unconsolidated loss adjustment expense, unallocated loss adjustment expenses. As a result, in the quarter, we are allocating approximately $1.5 million less to ULAE, which equates to an increase of approximately one point in the expense ratio and a corresponding one point decrease to the consolidated loss ratio. Our combined ratio for the quarter was 89.8%, up from second quarter of last year due to lower favorable development. And for the six months, we wrote to a combined ratio of 90.4%, again higher due to the level of favorable development so far this year. Our effective tax rate in the quarter was 19.2%, down from an effective tax rate in the second quarter of last year of 24.4%. The decline in the effective tax rate is attributable to our tax exempt interest being a larger portion of our overall earnings as compared to last year, as well as an increase in the amount of tax credits utilized during the quarter. Operating income for the quarter was $35.7 million, or $0.64 per diluted share. For the six months, our operating income was $70.4 million, or $1.25 per diluted share. On the subject of shares, we continue to be committed to effective capital management and the creation of long-term value for our investors. In the second quarter, we spent $66 million to purchase 1.5 million shares of our common stock. As of July 31, our repurchase activity for 2015 totaled 3.1 million shares at a cost of $140 million, and much of our repurchase activity has been conducted under the auspices of 10B51 plans. Year-to-date, we have paid $51 million in regular cash dividends to shareholders, in addition to the $150 million special dividend declared at the end of last year and paid in January of this year. Our share buyback at recent stock prices means that we are buying above book value and at a price that we believe represents solid value for us. In the short run, buying above book value per share dampens growth in book value per share which was $38.09 at June 30th. June 30th tangible book value per share was $32.40. And finally, at June 30th, we held $171.5 million in unpledged cash and investments outside our insurance subsidiaries and available for us by the holding company. Frank? Thanks, Ned. Uh, we'll go now to Howard Friedman for commentary on specialty P&C and Lloyd's. Howard? Thanks, Frank. In specialty P&C, gross premiums written were $113 million in the quarter, down 1.4% quarter over quarter. We do see some bright spots, as Ned mentioned. First, 
physician premiums, the largest component in specialty P&C, were $75.9 million in the quarter, up about $450,000 over last year, primarily due to 24-month policies. Those policies increased gross written premiums by $5.7 million. Approximately $2.1 million of that amount was new conversion to 24-month policies, with the remainder being due to normal timing differences associated with the two-year renewal pattern. We think the additional conversion shows the value our existing insureds see in our coverage, making that commitment in a competitive environment. With hospitals, with, ho with hospitals and facility premiums essentially unchanged, the decline in the segment's quarterly comparative premiums stems from Allied Healthcare, a hyper-competitive line with low premiums per policyholder, and from product liability, where we note the loss of a small number of larger premium accounts due to acquisition and competition. Nevertheless, we continue to produce new premium, new business in the specialty P&C lines. We wrote $7 million of new business in the second quarter, and through June 30th, we have written almost $20 million in new business, an improvement of a little more than $3 million compared to the first six months of 2014. There was virtually no change in the level of seated premiums written in the quarter. Thus, net written declined as a result of the lower gross premiums. For the six months, seated premiums written increased by $5.5 million, primarily due to the effect of our session of podiatric premiums to Lloyd's. As you will recall, we account for that on a one-quarter lag, so we had only one quarter's premium seated in the first half of 2014. Retention returned to more normal levels in the physician business. It was 90% for the quarter, a one-point improvement over 2014, and is at 87% for the year, just one point less than the same period last year. Renewal pricing on physician business was up 1% in the quarter as compared to last year and is unchanged for the six months. All other lines in specialty P&C are reporting higher renewal pricing for the year. I'll echo Ned's earlier statement on the loss environment. There has been no change in overall loss trends in the specialty P&C segment through June 30th. Within the largest portion of the segment, healthcare professional liability, frequency remains essentially flat and severity continues to increase at a manageable 2% to 3% per year. Net favorable reserve development in the specialty P&C segment was $34 million for the quarter as compared to $41 million a year ago. Year-to-date, net favorable development was $65 million compared to $88 million in the same six months of 2014. The calendar year net loss ratios for the quarter and six months were 56.9% and 58.5%, respectively. Let you take a minute just to catch your breath and then maybe tell us a little bit about Lloyd's for the quarter. Sure, Frank. I'll note yet again that we are reporting on a one-quarter lag, with the exception of certain U.S.-based administrative expenses and investment results associated with our funds at Lloyd's, which are held as an investment. Our 58% participation in the gross premiums written of Syndicate 1729 was $25.8 million in the quarter, an increase of almost 25% over the prior year quarter. For the six months and to June 30th, it was $30.5 million, a year-over-year -year increase of 47%. We have two quarters of written reported in the first half of 2015, but only reported a single quarter in 2014 because of the timing of the syndicate startup and the lag in reporting. 
Underwriting expenses for the reported quarter were $4 million, primarily related to salaries and benefits, professional fees, and amortization of policy acquisition costs. For the reported six-month period, underwriting expenses were $7.5 million. For the quarter, the underwriting expense ratio was 43.5%, a 42.5-point decline, and for the six months, the underwriting expense ratio was 50.8%, a 65-point decline. The year-to-date mix of business in the syndicate has not changed a great deal. Approximately 68% is casualty reinsurance. Property catastrophe reinsurance accounts for 11%. Direct property coverage is 19%, and 2% is property reinsurance. The majority of the syndicate's business remains U.S.-based. As we discussed with you in prior quarters, last year year saw the syndicate build out its underwriting staff. So this year, we are better able to take advantage of submissions across a wide range of risks. Duncan Dale reports that submissions remain strong, but given price competition, he continues to be cautious about the business they are writing, which is consistent with our expectations. Frank? Thank you, Howard. Uh, Next up is workers' compensation, and for that, we'll go to Mike Bogutsky, the president of Eastern. Mike? Thank you, Frank. The increase in the workers' compensation segment second quarter operating results were driven by consistent production results across all operating territories, growth in earned premium, and prudent expense management, partially offset by an increase in the loss ratio. Gross premium written increased to $58 million in the quarter compared to $55 million in the second quarter of 2014, an increase of 6%. Premium retention was 82% for the quarter and was 85% for the six months ended June 30, 2015. Renewal pricing increased 4% and new business production was $8 million in the second quarter, despite competitive market conditions. Auto premium increased to $1.3 million in the quarter compared to $817,000 in 2014 as a result of improved economic conditions and strong financial underwriting. We were successful in renewing all four of the available alternative market programs and adding one new program during the quarter. The increase in the second quarter 2015 accident year loss ratio was primarily related to a slight increase in severity-related claims. During the first six months of 2015, we were successful in closing 36.2% of 2014 and prior claims, which is a four-point improvement over the prior year closure rate. Favorable reserve development was $1.5 million in the quarter compared to $938,000 in the second quarter of 2014, primarily related to alternative markets business, but also includes $400,000 in both periods relating to the amortization of purchase accounting fair value adjustments. The decrease in the second quarter 2015 expense ratio reflects growth in net earned premium and prudent expense management strategies and the presence of transaction costs and one-time professional fees in the comparative 2014 period. This reduction was partially offset by the implementation of a corporate management fee in the first quarter of 2015. The combined ratio for the quarter was 93.5%, including 2.4 percentage points of intangible 
asset amortization, and just under one point from the initiation of the corporate management fee. Frank? Thank you, Mike. Stan, will you give us some final thoughts, and then Noah will be ready to take questions. Thanks, Frank. Clearly, we are in a very competitive business. That is simply undeniable. But in the face of strong competitive headwinds, we have been able to remain profitable, keep our commitment to create and deliver value to our insureds, and we have done it while executing a very ambitious, well-thought-out strategy that will ensure ProAssurance is in a position to deliver cutting-edge products that will be demanded by the evolving healthcare delivery system in the United States and abroad for that matter. The vision statement we have crafted for ProAssurance sums this up succinctly. We will be the best in the world at understanding and providing solutions for the risk our customers encounter as healers, innovators, employers, and professionals. Through an integrated family of specialty companies, products, and services, we will be a trusted partner, enabling those we serve to focus on their vital work. As the employer of choice, we embrace every day as a singular opportunity to reach for extraordinary outcomes, build and deepen superior relationships, and accomplish our mission with infectious enthusiasm and unbending integrity. Pay special attention to the terms integrated family of companies and trusted partner. As we bring a broad range of coverages to the market, we will offer expertise and solutions that are unmatched. And when we focus on a partnership for providing solutions, we are saying that we will be more than just a vendor. We intend to be indispensable to those who partner with us to solve the most complicated liability problems they face. I am convinced that we have the right people in place to make this happen, and that we have the right approach to maintain the financial strength of this organization so that we can take advantage of those opportunities that will be presented to us. In July, the Ward Group recognized ProAssurance for the ninth straight year as one of the 50 top property and casualty insurance writers in America. That's the top 50 in financial performance and policyholder security out of more than 3,000 companies. That says a lot about our people and their expertise and experience to perform at that level year after year after year. Here's another example. The annual Grace Church survey of 650 brokers and underwriters in the London market singled out Duncan Dale as the number one underwriter in the market when ranked by underwriters and number two when ranked by brokers. I am confident that we're on the right track and I look forward to answering whatever questions you may have. Frank? All right, Noah, if you'll open the lines, we'll begin to take questions. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question, please signal by pressing star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're using a speakerphone, please make sure your mute function is turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Again, press star 1 to ask a question, and we'll take our first question from Amit Kumar with Macquarie. Morning, uh, thanks. Uh, Hey, thanks and uh, good morning, and uh, congrats on the quarter. Um, a few quick questions. Uh, maybe these might be for Howard. Um, in terms of loss cost trends, uh, one other competitor, and I know that their book is different than your book. Uh, they they've continued to 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 witness uh, adverse development uh, in their medical malpractice book. Um, 
maybe talk about, you know, as you look out, what are you seeing on the loss cost trend side? Uh, you know, it remains fairly stable, uh, but, but, you know, is that sort of the view looking forward, or is there anything on the fringes uh, which might be sort of uh, changing your view here? Hi, Amit. Uh, yeah, it's Howard. Uh, you know, we really don't see anything that's changing, um, and we look at this very carefully. We have a very homogeneous book of business and, and a you know, substantial book of business. We have a lot of data to analyze. And at this point, we have not seen, experienced, or, or, or expect anything in terms of a change on the, uh, on the loss side. Uh, frequency has been quite stable, and, and we look at it carefully. We, uh, we, severity, of course, can be volatile with larger claims, and we take those into account. But when you look at severity on any type of reasonable limited basis, whether you're looking at it at a million-dollar limit or half-million-dollar limit or $250,000 limit as we look at it for rate-making, uh, or even at higher limits um, when you take out some of the just the aberrations, uh, we don't see the severity trend moving much differently than we've seen over the past year or, or so now, and, and we've been saying 2 to 3%. So, uh, we're, we're quite disciplined about the underwriting process. Uh, I think we have a very effective claims handling process, and we have a lot of data to analyze. So at this point in time, we're, we're comfortable with the trends that, that we've uh, reported. Got it. That's helpful. And I, I, I guess uh, intertwined with that question is the discussion on pricing trends. Uh, you know, we've seen these kind of pricing trends uh, for the past few quarters, sort of the one-ish number, flattish trends. Uh, you, you, you talked about, uh, I think there was a competition uh, discussion that you're talking about, more more competition coming in, becoming more and more competitive. I mean, do, do you see this causing any inflection, I guess, mid-sort mid, mid of in a time period in terms of pricing? Or is this sort of the new normal just based on the evolution of uh, MedMal, you know, if you sort of start from the 2002 time period till today? Well, I guess first I wanted to say that I don't think we've said that we've seen more competition. And, and if, uh, if, if you interpreted it that way, I just wanted to clarify that we, mm -hmm. we have plenty of competition in the market, and the market has been competitive for a long time, but we don't see any what you would consider new competitors uh, in, in the marketplace. It, it, it's been pretty um, stable in that regard, even though everyone is competing very heavily to retain the business that they have and trying to write new business, of course. Uh, in terms of the pricing, you know, going back again to the to the discipline uh, comment, uh, we continue to price where we think we need to be in order to achieve the long-term uh, return objectives that we have. Uh, that means giving up business, and I think you saw that with a lower retention ratio that we had in the in the first quarter, returning a little bit more towards the normal uh, in the second, and, and creeping back year to date. Uh, but at the same time, maintaining pricing in, in the same kind of range that we've seen over the past few years, and that is, you know, plus or minus 1% to 2%, uh, hovering around, you know, a zero if you looked at it on average for last year. Uh, and, and that is what we think we need to do in order to, again, maintain and, and be able to create the return over a longer period of time. Uh, it does mean giving up some business when we have to. Got it. That's helpful. Uh, the, the final question is for Stan. Um, 
You know, we've, we've discussed this several several times, the discussion on capital. And if you look at the optics, if you look at, uh, I guess, uh, the reported ROE, clearly it's being understated by the level of excess capital on the balance sheet. Um, and, and, and somehow I think that's unfair and in some senses when viewed against other competitors and their leverage ratios. Um, Stan, maybe talk about uh, how much that is on your mind, you know, the, the, the RE metrics versus others. And I guess bigger picture, what can be done, you know, apart from the usual buybacks and special dividends, et cetera, uh, what can be really done at this stage of the cycle to get the ROE, you know, in, in, into sort of a double-digit range? Amit, you know, we, we think of, uh, of every aspect of managing the company through a very long-term lens. Uh, at this point in the cycle, as I said in the last call, I think that the number one um, objective is to avoid digging a hole for ourselves. And I think in this long-tail business where you can delude yourself that you're getting adequate pricing when, in fact, you're not, uh, it's very important not to dig that hole. And so we take a very long-term look. As you've heard me say time and time again, and you'll always hear me say, we are not a quarter-to-quarter company. Uh, We have a very long-term focus. Our board looks at capital uh, every meeting. And we intend to be a very good steward of our capital. I think the the best evidence of that is as you look back over the last number of years since the present senior management team came together in the second end of the second quarter of 2007, we've almost doubled shareholder equity to over $2 billion. Uh, We've returned another billion dollars to shareholders in the form of dividends, special dividends, and share buybacks. And we've made over $500 million or so of, of strategic investments. So we, we have a very multifactorial approach to capital management, and we'll continue to be very good stewards of the capital. Uh, we need uh, a certain amount of capital to conduct our business today, but we need to also have access to capital uh, that will enable us to take advantage of, of the organic and the transactional opportunities that may come in the future. And, you know, I'm reminded uh, by Ned fairly regularly that um, – if we hadn't had the capital when time came to do the PICA transaction in 2009, we would have had no place to get the money uh, to close that transaction because all the credit markets in this country uh, were, were essentially closed to everybody. So we don't have the luxury and don't expect the luxury and don't even want the luxury of looking at things on a quarter-to-quarter basis, but we'll continue to manage uh, the organization to take advantages of opportunities as they come. And I think that the past is prologue, and it, it, it shows just what our intentions are with respect to capital management. Got it. That's uh, all I have. Thanks uh, for the answers, and uh, good luck for the future. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Matt Carletti with JMP Securities. Hey, thanks. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. Uh, Amit covered a few of my questions. I just have a couple uh, more numbers-related questions, one, one for Howard, one for, uh, for Ned. Uh, the first one, I guess, for Howard is I, I caught the – when you talked about the two-year policies, I caught the – you referenced a, a 5.7 million number, and sorry if I didn't catch it, but was that what was um, written in the quarter as two-year policies, or was that the delta between you know, what was written this quarter and what was written a year ago? That was the – Delta between what was written this quarter versus the year ago quarter. You know, we have there are two two things that are going on there. We we have the odd year even year difference 
in the two-year right. policies that become effective. But within that $5.7 million this year, we also had $2.1 million of that that related to new two-year policies. In other words, annual policies where the policyholder then chose to convert to a two-year policy in 2015. Okay. Uh, that's helpful. And then the other one for Ned relates to the tax rate. Um, and you talked about the tax credits and, and a mix of business, but I guess my question is, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's been kind of 17 to 18% for a couple quarters now. Is kind of that sort of sub-20 area reasonable run rate for the foreseeable future, or is there some reason to believe that we'll, we'll tick back up towards kind of low 20s where it had been? It's a, it's a good question, Matt. I, I think, um, you know, there are a lot of variables at play there, which makes it challenging to, to project. Um, but but given the, the level of um, tax-exempt interest that we have and the tax credits that we're able to utilize, you know, I think that, that you know, right around 20 is probably a pretty good number, you know, barring some okay. something um, unanticipated occurring. All right, great. Thanks for the answers, and congrats on a nice quarter. Thanks. We'll take our next question from Mark Hughes with SunTrust. Yeah, thank you. Good morning. In the workers' comp business, uh, you're doing very well, it seems, on rate. I wonder if you could uh, talk about uh, um, what's uh, driving your success. Are there some particular segments that uh, that you're finding good opportunities? And then uh, is that perhaps impacting uh, retention? Um, I don't know whether there's a seasonal component to this, but uh, perhaps uh, retention is down a little bit uh, sequentially. Um, just curious uh, on those two fronts. Yeah, um, just on the pricing side, the uh, first of all, there is some headwinds from the perspective that you know, 14 of our 16 operating states continue to have frequency reductions and and loss cost decrease, but we continue to maintain a very much an individual account underwriting uh, focus in our in our rural territories. And you know we just expect the appropriate return from from our pricing. Uh, what we saw this quarter on the on the uh, rate side was was um, the four points was driven more by large accounts in a in a quarter where where we don't have as much revenue. So this was more large account driven in the quarter. Uh, from a retention perspective. Uh, we were down about one point from a conversion of one policy from a guaranteed cost, a large account, to a large deductible policy, and a short-term renewal of a large health care uh, account. And then the, the remainder of the retention was really us making the call on accounts that we believe uh, would make a, a profit for the company. So, uh, But there was no direct relationship between the retention and, and us trying to push rate and the retention coming down. And when you say uh, rates were helped by the large account, uh, was that sort of a mix issue? Seems like the large accounts would be more competitive, if anything. Well, it, it, it's a mix issue from the from the from a from the math perspective that we we had higher rate increases on those larger accounts, which drove the rate in the quarter. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. We'll take our next question from Paul Newsom with Sandler O'Neill. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning. Um, congratulations on the quarter. Uh, just to 
maybe to follow up or not to follow up to, to round out the call, um, your most recent updates from an from an MA perspective and any thoughts given uh, the heightened interest in general in M and A in the market, at least that's what it seems like. Uh it's it's Stan the the M and A uh current marketplace in the in the property and casualty world has been interesting and as you note it's garnered a lot of attention lately um, as you also know we are very much the product of an active uh, M&A program dating back to the early 90s uh, we look at a lot of opportunities we say no to most of those opportunities but over the years we've developed uh, a number of uh, transactions which have resulted in the ProAssurance as the company we know today. Uh, we think we are well positioned today for the coming changes in health care. Uh, if opportunities come along that we think enhance our ability to deliver a value to our shareholders and security to our insureds, we will take advantage of those opportunities. As I've said in the past, it, it would not surprise me at all that our coming uh, years of growth will be more organic than M&A just because of the nature of the changes that are coming in health care. But I could be absolutely wrong about that. It could be that future growth will continue to be concentrated as a result of uh, M&A activities. Uh, these activities are very episodic. They uh, are opportunistic, and we have to be opportunistic in evaluating them. Uh, I suspect uh, that you're going to continue to see uh, an active property and casualty M&A world, uh, and it'll be interesting to see all that, that takes place. Uh, Ned, anything to add to that? No, no, Stan, thanks. I think that covers it pretty well. As the pace of what you, I mean, I, I know you're actively looking pretty much all the time. Has, has the pace of what you are being shown changed recently? No, I would say no. Great. Well, thank you very much. We'll take our next question from Ryan Burns with Janny. Thanks. Uh, good morning, guys. Um, just, just had one, uh, just one numbers one here at the end. Um, uh, second quarter, there were a lot of kind of property and energy losses in the in the Lloyd's market. Um, and I know you guys report on a lag, but maybe could you guys just maybe note if you guys were on any of those uh, kind of large losses uh, through uh, through the Lloyd segment? No, not on the not on the property and energy side to any material material area. The one place that we we will have a small loss will be um, on in the space with with some of the satellites. Okay. Um, but again, not, Great. It, won't, it won't be it won't it won't be a material loss. Got it. Thanks, guys. And once again, if you would like to ask a question, it's star one. We'll take a follow-up from Amit Kumar with Macquarie. Hey, just uh, very quickly on uh, you know follow-up to Ryan's question. Um, I, I, I know some some companies have some sort of a threshold as to what is reported loss versus uh, reported catastrophe loss versus not. Do you guys have a threshold? I guess I was just trying to ballpark what that number might be. You know, in terms of modeling forward. Yeah, it's a it's a good question, Amit. And the 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 honest answer is we we really don't. I think that just because the operations of 1729 are still relatively new, um, and we've not had to really deal with that situation, what we'll 
you know, I think what we're committed to do is if, if an individual loss is material either to the segment or to pro-assurance, you know, we'll certainly call it out. Um, and and, and kind of, you have to just kind of use that as guidance for now. I, I think as, as the loss environment within 1729 evolves, we will have some ability to get more specific to that. Um, with the way that 1729 is structured, the business it's writing and the reinsurance that we have in place, it's you know it's highly unlikely that we would see anything with even on a catastrophic level that would have a material impact to either the syndicate or to our operations. Good. Okay. And that's that's actually very helpful. That's all I have. Thank you. Once again, that's star one to ask a question. We'll pause briefly. Star one. Star. And with no further questions, I'd like to turn the call back over to management for any additional or closing remarks. Thank you, Noah. We appreciate everyone joining us this morning. Enjoy your weekend. We will speak to you next after we report third quarter earnings in November. And this does conclude today's conference. Thank you for your participation.